Welcome to Wheel Bearings episode 167, and we've got a little bit of a, a mashup today. Um, Dan is busy this Sunday morning as Rebecca and I are recording this segment, so we'll be pat- Dan will be patching in some conversation that I have with him a little bit later on today. But for right now, I'm Sam Abual Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And Rebecca, you've been driving a, the ultimate family hauler this week. <laughs> I have been. So I got the chance to drive the 2021 Toyota Sienna minivan. This thing is redesigned. It looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, There's such an improvement in the interior. There's a lot to like about this minivan. Uh, The first thing is the second row reclining seats. It's like having a Barca lounger in your your minivan. Does it have footrests? It has footrests. It has a lot of them that flips out. Oh my gosh. So awesome. I unfortunately schedules did not align with the smaller humans in my life, the younger ones. (laughs) So um, we had a road trip planned and unfortunately school, that evil, evil thing interrupted (laughs) our plan. What what is this school thing? Is that, is that that (laughs) stuff that you do at home over zoom? Yeah, exactly. So unfortunately we weren't able to do, but um, my niece Avery was willing to at least sit in the driveway and have a good time playing around with everything. Uh, So the interior is vastly improved from the previous version of this. They just, you know, the materials are really nice on it. I mean, obviously I think I had a fully loaded one, um, a pre-production model, cause it's not on sale yet, but they just did a really great job with it. There's kind of a place for everything. One of the things I loved about it is that there's a, on the, on the center console on the right side, first of all, there's a really nice very intuitive gear selector, which I like. It's just, I didn't have to practice in my driveway, you know what I mean? (laughs) To Uh learn how to select all the different (laughs) gears. And then tucked in front of that is a wireless charging pad that also has USBs. And so your phone is accessible without being in a cup holder or something. It's without being right in front of you. Um, you So you can't see the screen, but it's accessible, which I like because sometimes you don't want to be fumbling around for your phone. Well, on the always. Left, you should never be fumbling around for your you phone while never, you're driving. But even at a traffic light or something. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the thing. Like, even if you're stopped, I, you know, at a, at a traffic light or something, I, it's just, I prefer to have it accessible without being a distraction. And I think they did a good job with that. On the left side is this be- little. Hold on. Before, yeah. you, before you proceed, one quick question. Does it have support for wireless uh, CarPlay and Android Auto, or is it just oh, through the USB? It's only through the USB because when I didn't have it plugged in, I did not have access to Android Auto. Okay. When I did use Android Auto, it was excellent though. So it, you can escape from the Entune system. So the other fun thing is on the left side is at, at that same kind of mid-level, it's this little flat surface. It's about three inches long and about two inches deep. And it's perfect for a mask. So it's oh, very great. on trend. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, mean, I loved. Is, is that is that slot, you know, intended to be like for sticking a phone or something in there? No, it's smaller than that. I'm thinking okay. maybe change. Okay. I don't know if people still have toll booths around. I know some <laughs> do. But, you know, maybe put the key there for okay. yeah. maybe. But 
I really found it was actually an ideal place to keep my mask. Rather, again, like rather than in the cup holder. Right. Uh, and so fold it up neatly. You can keep it there. You can always have a mask in the car. So I really liked that. Um, just the, oh, you know, the overall, when you buy a minivan, you buy it with a family in mind. And even though I forgot to get married, I can still get into that mindset of having a family. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, 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 you know, you're in the fortunate position, I think, of, you know, having a, an on-demand family because you have yes, lots exactly. of, you have lots of siblings <laughs> and they have kids. And so, you know, you can, you can take the kids for short bursts of time. You don't have to worry about putting money away into a college fund and dealing with all the, the vagaries of adolescence and uh, don't even get started. Exactly. Believe me, I have, I have yet to regret not getting married, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, so I, but when I get into this mindset of, you know, if my nieces and nephews were with me, you know, or my, my, my friend Lorraine's kids who I went on vacation with back in the summertime, and they actually have the old version of the Toyota minivan. So there's just the right amount of durability in the materials of luxury for the parents of really thoughtful, thoughtful touches in this and i just think they did a really really nice job with it it looks really nice uh you know it has a it for again for a minivan it has a relatively sleek appearance the proportions are never going to be great because you always have a really short overhang um with minivans and that well, I mean, it's, to- you know it's it's a it's a box on wheels you know is. which is which is meant for hauling people and stuff which you know it it's designed around a specific kind of task, a specific kind of yes. use case, and there is no other form factor that does those use cases better than a minivan. You know, exactly. So many families today use SUVs and crossovers, but you know they, I've I've always thought that they were extremely compromised for <laughs> the use case of hauling a family. Because I mean, having you know having gone through the process of having kids that went from little to adult. <laughs> Amazing, uh, you know <laughs> how they do that. One, one of the, you know, I, you know, trying to strap kids into booster seats and child seats, you know, with an SUV that sits up higher and you got hinged doors and all this. I mean, we never had a minivan, you know, on a full time basis. You know, I had them mm. at various times, you know, as test vehicles, um, and it was always better having a minivan. Uh, you know, be, I mean, the sliding doors. I mean, that is the, the sliding doors are amazing because, you know. Whenever kids open the door, you know if there's a car beside you, there's going to be a dent in that door, you know. Yes. Afterwards, sliding doors, you never have to worry about that. You always have lots of space. The floor, you know, you're up high enough, but you know you have that big opening, and the floor is is lower. It's easier to reach in to to you know get the kids situated and get them buckled in properly and everything. It's yep. just it's just such a much better vehicle for for that use case. No, it, it really is. I mean, I I love the easy ingress and egress, and and it actually is ideal for grandparents as well. Mm-hmm. If you live near your grandchildren, to be able to go and pick them up from school, to be able to you know when you're taking them places, it's 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 a it really fits multi a variety of life cycle of lifestyles. The other thing too, lifestyles and stages, I should say. Um, you know, the back seats, this was very, very clever. So the, this was the one that I had was a seven seat and because it has the captain's chairs in the middle, the, but the back row, that third row, 
it was a fold flat. Uh, and then when you needed the third row and you could pull them up, it was a little bit awkward to get them into position. But once they were in position and locked in position, you still had a big amount of room behind those seats for things like luggage and, and stuff. And, you know, I think about my friend Lorraine's kids there's four kids and there's six people in that van all the time and like when we went down to virginia we had a lot of stuff that we needed to pile in there and having the ability to that extra couple of feet there was a lot of room in the back also where you could really put you know it went down really deep and you could put a lot of stuff in there and so, again i appreciated that there was a quick, cooler in the middle you know the the av screens that came down mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff so when you say the, the the third row seats fold flat, is that the style of seats that um, you fold them down and then they flip back into that lower bin behind the rear wheels? Yes, but okay. there was an additional lower bin then still when they were locked in place. I'll send you a picture. Okay. Because then yeah. I put I put luggage I put um groceries back in there. I went to oh, IKEA. Yeah. I, I went up to IKEA and. Didn't didn't buy any furniture, but bought a couple of things, and so I I'll 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 make sure that we have pictures of it okay. to show you what I'm talking about because I was really pleasantly surprised at how much room there was back there. There's a cooler in the middle, which my niece loved. Uh, the only thing is that when you fold the she folded down this really large like kind of movie screen that they have in the middle of the vehicle, and when I when I went to look in my rearview mirror, it was completely blocked. Like oh. fully blocked, which makes sense because it's enormous, but it's just something to keep in mind when you're driving uh, that you're really going to compromise your rear view mirror. I don't know. And I apologize. I don't know if it has that cool thing that GM vehicles and Land Rover has where you, it turns into a camera. Uh, yeah. Looking at, I'm looking at the, the press release right now. It does offer a digital rear view mirror. And that looks like that center uh, HD screen is 11.6 inches. So that is a good size. It's a good display. size. And yeah. they, so they looks like they do offer a, a camera mirror system, which you would so, definitely want to take advantage of. Right. You would. Now, with that system, of course, that means that you can't see the inside of the car because the camera, the rear view mirror turns into a camera and it shows you the the. The, the view from outside. The view from outside, your back, your rear view, what would be your rear view mirror view, but then you can't see the inside of it. And I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job describing this, but you know, there's, there's just a lot to like in this thing. We, um, this was also the hybrid version, which is a, a new version, a new choice for the Toyota Sienna. Technically it has a 2.5 liter four cylinder, a 243 horsepower. It does have a CBT, and I think my only, the only thing I really had an issue with, because there were so many good things about it, was, man, that CBT, it was, it, it felt underpowered in many conditions. And it also was incredibly loud. This was a pre-production model. I'm really, really hoping that they put additional insulation in the engine compartment because for instance, I was on a call and as I'm going up the hill on the Merritt Parkway, which is very, very hilly nearby here, Route 15, I had to apologize to the person I was on the phone with and say, I hope you can still hear me because it was so loud in the car. So 
I'm hoping that's a pre-production issue. I just, I felt, you know, there's so many really good four cylinders. A 2.5 liter should be good. Sam and I were talking earlier, the Toyota Highlander hybrid has it. And I didn't definitely didn't have that same feeling. And again, I wonder, you know, I was by myself in this thing for 99% of the time I was driving it. I can't imagine what it would be like under full load. I think it would be, I feel, I felt like it was straining. I was kind of disappointed in that, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the same powertrain that's, that's in, uh, you mentioned the Highlander hybrid. It's also in the Camry and uh, the Avalon. Uh, it was so great it's, in the it's Avalon. In, yeah. yeah. It's it's in all of Toyota's larger front drive vehicles. It's the same, the exact same powertrain. Um, one thing that's, that's interesting, uh, you know, in fact, the, the hybrid is the only powertrain option right now for the 2021 is it, so I wasn't sure because yeah. they haven't, the, the full specs are not out there yet, but yeah, that's the only one. That's, now, the, ol- I did get, that's the only thing they have listed right now. They so may I offer bought, a V6 later, who knows? Yeah. But. Well, and I wonder if you can, if they'll offer a four cylinder non-hybrid. Would that make any difference? I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, if you had a four-cylinder non-hybrid, it would probably have less power than the hybrid powertrain. Wow. Because because with the hybrid, you've got that extra juice from the electric motor in addition to the right. four-cylinder. Now, you know, in the hybrid configuration, the four-cylinder runs a little bit differently. It runs on what they call an Atkinson cycle, which has a little bit less power and torque. So a, a, net, a normal four-cylinder, 2.5-liter four-cylinder, um, typically the, the way, you know, uh, you find it in, in most applications, including most Toyotas where they have that option, like in the Camry, um, the, the output of the four cylinder is greater than the output of the four cylinder. That's the hybrid, but it's less than the total combined output of the, the engine plus the electric motor. So, um, you know, I think a four cylinder, you know, if if the hybrid is straining in this thing, the standard four cylinder probably would be as well. But that, mm. it, it's it seems odd because you know the hybrid in the the uh, Highlander, you know, didn't really seem to you know be straining very much. You know, it seemed to have adequate power. So I wonder if there's something about the calibration on this pre-production model that wasn't quite up to snuff. Maybe I mean I did try it in the. There's three modes available. I tried it in all three modes. Sport was a little bit, but I think also part of it was that it was so loud. And and I shouldn't confuse loudness with straining, mm-hmm. but or a C. But you know, and the you hear, you're hearing it work, right? I'm hearing it, and it yeah. feels painful. <laughs> like I wanted to, like, I'm sorry, but I need to get onto the highway. <laughs> well, and that's, that's kind of the opposite of what you typically expect in a hybrid. You know, I mean, a hybrid should generally be quieter, you know, because you're right. you're going back and forth between, you know, engine off, engine on modes. And typically manufacturers try to keep that engine on mode quieter. So you, you don't notice that transition as much. Right. And well, and, and the sport mode is designed to give more acceleration. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, they, they describe it um, unlocks boost from the hybrid system for improved acceleration response. I, it wasn't noticeable enough, but it is there. Uh, and, and perhaps this is a pre-production situation where I'm, you know, if it was quieter, I may not have noticed the straining as much. It just, 
it, it was, you know, the CBT was also incredibly whiny. I mean, it was kind of all the time I felt like. So, you know, driving around town, it's not a big deal. Certainly on the highway though, uh, it was very, very noticeable to me. Um, so that was, that was, you know, and it's funny because it says in the press release, it says the Sienna driver will feel ultra smooth acceleration and hear very little noise. That is my, the exact opposite <laughs> <laughs> of my experience with this thing. So they also estimate uh, fuel economy at 33. I got 26.6. So I wasn't really anywhere close to that. And I would not say that I was abusing it. I think I drove you know, typically 60 to 65 on the highway. I don't think I was particularly aggressive with this. It was, again, just something that I noticed almost immediately that it was very, very loud. So hopefully their plans for the model that they release, the, the you know, the uh, typical production models will have more engine insulation uh, because otherwise there was a lot you know, a lot to love. I love the big seven inch uh, multicolor display. And, um, you know, I got a lot of, it was easy to use. It was intuitive to use uh, there, the infotainment system. So there's a lot in here and the pricing, while it hasn't been announced, the current Sienna uh, starts at about 35. And I would think that we could see something, you know, in that range, um, maybe, maybe a little bit higher for the hybrid. Uh, there, the current Sienna, 2020 Sienna, starts at 34.4, and then the higher trims go up to 37, 38 in that range. But, you know, lots of safety equipment on it, uh, lots of good things. It just, I'll be curious to see as these vehicles come out, uh, what the response is to, to just the noise from the engine. Especially, you know, if they do offer uh, a regular non-hybrid version. I think, yes. I think right now they're, you know, because minivan sales have declined a lot over the last decade, um, they're, I would guess they're probably leaning towards just sticking with the hybrid only. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, and, and they're doing that with the Venza as well, the new midsize crossover. Yes. Yep. Uh, it's also only available with this hybrid powertrain. Which is funny because I had that. And I don't know if I spoke about it on the show, actually. I was thinking about that because... I definitely didn't have that same experience. So I am wondering if this was just a pre-production issue with the noise, the, the you know, in-cabin engine noise, uh, because the, the Venza I thought was terrific. And the same thing with the Avalon. So, you know, I'm hoping that this was just, just a pre-production issue uh, because it's, you know, I would definitely encourage our listeners to, if, if you're in the market for a minivan, to go and test it out once they come out and just pay attention, pay attention to the engine noise, pay attention to the CBT uh, and, and what your experience is with it. I don't know, maybe if you have the infotainment system on and you have kids in the car and there's a lot of noise inside the car, you won't notice it as much. Um, I, I was, again, a little disappointed. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, is uh, when you were talking about the sliding doors, just a little pro tip. I always try, if I if I have the option, I try and park next to a minivan as opposed to an SUV. Because uh, yeah. while the driver may not be paying as much attention, you know you're not going to get a door ding with the sliding doors. <laughs> Excellent point. Um, yeah, you know, and one, one last thing on the powertrain side, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in the next year or so, um, if Toyota actually offers a Sienna Prime 
with the plug-in hybrid system that's on the uh, sure the, the Rav Four Prime and the Prius Prime, um, you know, and that you know, in the Rav Four, you know, the the, the Rav Four Prime, the the plug-in hybrid, is actually the most powerful version of the Rav, and it's 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 just over three hundred horsepower, and it's it's quick. Yeah. So uh, that might be the direction that Toyota is planning to go instead of offering a V6. Well, and when you think about the Chrysler Pacifica hybrid, mm-hmm. you know, and they have a plug-in version of it, I definitely didn't have these kinds of, uh, of noise issues and, and perception of underpowered, right? right? And again, part of it could be just from the noise because I, it was so obvious. But again, I, I, it's, it's still, there's so many good things about it that I still think that if you're in the market for one, it's definitely worth a, t- a test drive on it. Cool. All right. Well, hopefully uh, we'll find out a little bit more soon. All right. I had the <laughs> Audi S5 Sportback. Originally, the A5 you know, was the coupe based on the A4, the midsize A4 sedan. Uh, and then they had a convertible, and then they added the Sportback. The Sportback is a five-door hatchback, you know, uh, <sighs> fastback, uh, hatchback. And, you know, it's certainly not, you know, as sexy looking as the, the coupe and, and convertible, but, you know, I actually really like it. I, I I really like this form factor, the hatchback form factor. I love the Audi hatchbacks. They just yeah. do such a great job. Yeah, you know, and this is, you know, it's it's very much like the A7, um, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of a three-quarter scale version of the A7. Uh, so, you know, it's it's got, you know, everything we love about driving Audis, you know, it's, it's got a really tight button down feel to it. The car itself feels really solid. Um, you know, always, you know, really nice premium materials, really well executed interior. Um, you know, they did a, a mid cycle update on the A4, A5 platform last year. I think, um, they switched up the, uh, the infotainment system, uh, the the A4, A5 series was the one of the last Audis to have the the center MMI controller. They've gone to a touchscreen setup oh, right. now. Um, it's it's not the same as what we've previously talked about. You know, on the the bigger Audis, uh, where they have the the dual touchscreen system, uh, where you have an upper and a lower screen, uh, and they have haptic feedback on there. This is just more standard. And this one, you know, definitely has more of that tacked on look where, you know, it looks like a tablet that's been bolted to the top of the dashboard. It doesn't feel integrated or, or designed in, um, you know, the interface is fine. You know, it's not, uh, yeah, it's good. You know, it, it's a good interface. I mean, I don't have to go on and on, you know, again, about how much I hate touchscreens in cars. I have I mentioned that I hate touchscreens in cars? Wait, you, you may have mentioned I, I, it once or twice. Yeah, you know, I I actually preferred the old setup with with the MMI controller, but it is what it is. You know, I have to deal with it. So it's um, you know, it, it's a it's a decent interface. It's got support for Android Auto and CarPlay, not wireless yet, uh, but it but it does have the support for both systems in there. Um, you know, the system is is clean enough. It's responsive. Um, so that's that part is good. The S5 is kind of the middle of the range. So, you know, in this, in typical Audi fashion, you have the A models, which are the mainstream models. The S5 are sportier models. And then you have the RS models, which are the more hardcore models. Those are the equivalent to the BMW M's and the AMG's. Uh, The S models are, you know, more the 
M M Sport uh, and uh, AMG um, AMG line, I think is what uh, Mercedes calls theirs. So it's it's that middle level. Uh, it's got a three liter twin turbo V six engine, uh, three hundred and forty nine horsepower, uh, all wheel drive. It's a Quattro, uh, in typical uh, Audi fashion, uh, eight speed Tiptronic um, automatic transmission. It's um, <clears throat> this one had uh, you know a bunch of options on there. It had the Prestige package on there with the Bang and Olufsen audio system, which sounds great. Um, you know the Audi virtual cockpit, the he- the heads up display. Did you try the Traffic Jam Assist? I. Did try it. I, I, okay. I did. I did try it. You know the. Um, you know to the degree I was able to the the Audi, um, uh, ADAS stuff. The adaptive cruise control and traffic jam assist uh, generally work really well. It's very smooth, um, and you know it's also got side uh, what they call side assist, which is your it um, it uses the the radar on the radar sensors on the rear corners which are used for blind spot monitoring so what it does is you know if if it detects a vehicle uh in your uh blind spot on either side when you put on the turn signal to do a lane change right. um it will alert you that there's something there and also you know give some steering assist to try to keep you in the lane uh you know if you you can push through it but you know it 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 will try to keep you in the lane if uh if possible uh to avoid a collision there so those nice. those are some really good things the the engine um you know that three liter uh twin turbo v6 uh lovely engine um you know really smooth uh you know like like i talked about when i talked about the uh cadillac ct4v um a few weeks back it doesn't feel you know, exceptionally powerful, even though, you know, it's 350 horsepower, almost just shy of 350 um, and all wheel drive. It it doesn't feel like it's leaping off the line, um, but it's it, it's definitely quick. You know, so it doesn't doesn't quite have the, the visceral ex, uh, appeal, or the visceral experience that you would have. Like if you went to an RS, uh, right. if you had an RS5, you know, that would tend to have a, a much more aggressive feel to it. This is a much more refined feel. It's funny that you say that because that was sort of my feedback from the Q7 that I had was that it was so refined as to as almost eliminate that emotional connection mm-hmm. to the vehicle. Like yeah. it was, you know, like I, I kind of, I, I want to feel some G forces going on. Yeah. And, <laughs> like and I don't want those can... smoothed out. Yeah, you can you can definitely feel the G's, you know, when you're cornering. I mean, it's you know, right. great handling, great cornering. Um, and you'll you'll feel the G's. I mean, you know, it's quick, but it it doesn't it doesn't feel as quick as it is. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of hard to describe. Um, but the it's engine, almost like a disconnect. Yeah, like the, it's a little bit of a disconnect because this is exactly how I felt with the with the Q7. It's just interesting that you bring that up in what is supposed to be a sports sedan or sport yeah. hatchback thing. Yeah, so. and you know when you when you put it in uh, dynamic mode, I think it is is what they right. call it. Uh, you know, the sport mode. Um, you know, you do get a little bit more sound, and I like the sound that this engine yeah. makes. You know, it's it's not uh, you know it's not you know kind of the rumbling V8 sound. Um, it's it's a much more um, refined precision mechanical sound, uh, but it, 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 it's, it's really good. It's not loud, but it's there, you know, so you get some of that. So that, that does help, you know, to enhance that visceral feeling. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely not, you know, the, uh, a hardcore 
sports machine. You know, it doesn't yeah. doesn't have that kind of feel to it. Um, you know, the the one I had was on the optional twenty inch uh, five uh, five twin spoke wheels, which are great looking wheels. Uh, it was on summer tires, um, and even on those twenties, uh, the ride quality was still really good. Uh, nice. you know, and this is this is one of the things that that Audi's you know done really well is getting a, a balance between handling and and ride quality. You know, not not sacrificing ride quality even with the big wheels and tires. You know, right. I mean, you'll you'll feel the road, but it doesn't it doesn't pound you. Uh, so it does a good, especially the 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 small sharp uh, you know inputs from the from the road. You know, those still get uh, filtered out pretty well. So it's it it does it does a really good job with that. The you know the nice thing about having the, the hatchback is you know you have a big cargo area in the back. I think there's about 25 cubic feet in the back with the rear seats up. And then you know if you need to carry larger stuff, and you can always drop the seats down and have I think close uh, over 50 cubic feet of cargo space in the back. Uh, which you know if you're finding stuff at a at a garage sale or estate sale, you know, or, or bringing stuff home from from the big box store. You know, you can easily fit it in there without any problem. So I remember yeah. um, years ago, I had I when I was moving from Massachusetts down to Connecticut, I had the the S seven was my media car that week. Oh. <laughs> but I actually, I mean, I loaded that thing, and it was definitely like the sexiest moving van that I've ever seen <laughs> because you could fit a ton in there. That's mm -hmm. what I love about hatchbacks is that they're, it, they're so practical, but they don't look practical, but they secretly are. Yeah. Very and, fun. You know, in, in most cases, you know, unless you're piling stuff all the way up to the roof, uh, you know, so you can't see out the back, you know, they've got as much or more space typically in there than you would find in a comparable sized SUV or crossover. Right. So the sloping you know, roof not, line is always a little compromised, but yeah, but you know, most people aren't piling stuff up all the way up to the right. roof anyway, most of the time. So you, you still have plenty of room back there for stuff. So even, you know, if you're going on a road trip, you know, uh, with, with your partner and, and another couple or with, you know, with the kids, you still have room for, you know, four suitcases and assorted other accoutrements in the back there without any problem. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it's, you know, it's a very practical vehicle, um, not inexpensive. You know, the one I had, uh, including the destination charge, came to $69,240. Um, but, you know, for, in this segment, you know, in this premium segment, it's competitive. You know, it's about what you'd pay. I mean, I think the the um, the Cadillac was similarly priced, if I recall and correctly. And the three series, I think, is and similarly a, yeah, priced. Yeah, you know, three yeah. series, and and uh, BMW is discontinuing the three series GT, the the Grand Touring. Um, I think they I think they dropped it at the end of last year, which would have been the closest comparable vehicle to this, and that one was never as sleek looking as the Audis. Mm. You know, yeah. they were always a little bit taller, a little frumpier looking. Um, and this one, uh, you know, so this one, you know, always had more of a more sporty feel to it than the three series GT. So that's gone. Mercedes has never really offered anything, uh, you know, quite comparable to this. So there isn't, there isn't really anything else out there quite like this anymore. Uh, yeah, no, there really isn't because the Genesis G70 is a traditional sedan, right? Yeah. Lexus doesn't really it, have anything. Probably the closest Infinity. thing to this would be the, the Kia Stinger. Yeah, 
Right. And, and I'm not sure how many people are going to sh- cross shop a Stinger, <laughs> um, you know, a Kia with an Audi. But, you know, actually, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, you you really should. You, you should be cross yeah. shopping it. You know, and, you know, the, the Stinger with the twin turbo V6, you know, is going to offer comparable performance to this. It's a similar size, you know, similar form factor, you know, that that fastback hatchback design. Um, so if you're and, you know, the Stinger is available with rear wheel drive which you can't get in the Audi, you know, so if you don't need all wheel drive, um, you know, and I think the the S5 is only available as a Quattro, but the A5 is available in front wheel drive as well. And, you know, even if you think about like even the Tesla Model 3, I was really disappointed when I found out that it wasn't a hatchback because it's one of the things I liked about the Model S. Mm -hmm. Is that it was like, you know, again, thinking, you know, a broad range of these, sedan type vehicles that actually are sportback because even the buick regal that was a sportback and that's been canceled too <laughs> yeah exactly so, yeah that's, yeah, that's the only other one kind of in this class right so no well that's fantastic now that we're finished with the garage with rebecca for the time being dan is finally here taking a break from painting his house and uh, we'll talk about what dan was driving this week Dan? Yeah, I, I didn't manage to get any on me or on the window. It's it's. Uh, well, that's it's impressive. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't even get any on the dog. There was time <laughs> where I got some on the dog. I have spent the last week in a couple of vehicles that we actually, one of them at least, we just talked about recently. I had the, uh, the 2021 Nissan Rogue. And so I went back and listened to our um, segment when you, you actually did the drive for this. Yeah, I did the media drive, but you know, I only had a couple of hours with it. Yeah. Well, I got a full week, so it was, um, it was interesting. I wanted to sort of compare and contrast my impressions versus yours. And I think actually um, they, they line up pretty well. The thing that I remember you saying was like for all that's good about it and there's a lot that's good, it's just okay. You know, like, not not necessarily just okay, but it's just it's not a, it doesn't stand out in the segment, right? And it's admittedly a very tough segment. And I was like, I don't know, I really liked it for the week, but I I come back to the same same thing. Um, it's a big class, mm-hmm. and so it is. It's a much better vehicle. It's uh, nice in and out, um, but how are you going to remember to recommend it? And and I think that's that's sort of what I wanted to sort of pull on a little bit was, do you think you'd ever find the rogue sort of at the the top of your recommendation list? Would you, or where would you go first? That's you know that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously you know Rav Four, you know that's that's kind of like the go to for most people. Um, the uh, you know the CRV is good, uh, at least the gas CRV. The hybrid, is, you know, I think is not quite as good as either the Rav Four or the uh, the Escape hybrids. If you know, if you're if you're interested in a hybrid in this class, um, you know, and then you've got the uh, new Hyundai Tucson coming up shortly. You know, they they recently revealed it. You know, and I have obviously none of us have driven it yet, but the Tucson. You know, at least from a design standpoint, it really stands out from the crowd. Um, yeah. So you know, those are, those are probably you know where I would look. You know, if you're looking for something with more off-road capability, probably you know one of the Jeeps, either the the Compass or the Cherokee. But um, yeah, those those would be, probably be the ones I would look to first. Yeah, I I think it's 
is just going to get lost to a certain degree. Um, and I think that's kind of a shame because I think you're, you're, we agree on the things that are good. You know, the style is good. The interior is good. It's a big upgrade. Um, the powertrain is fine. <laughs> um, it, it's well isolated from the rest of the car, which is nice. I, I noticed uh, driving the Rogue, one of the things I've really liked the most about it was how much they've improved NVH and, um, you know, cut down on road noise. It's quiet. And that's relaxing. And when when you have a family vehicle, sometimes you just want some damn quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so it's good in that way. And you know the the load area is pretty decent. The 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 front and rear seats, like you know, there's there's no space complaints there. It's it's really right on for for everything it needs to do. Um, so on the paperwork comparison, it's it's great in the in the real world. It it also you know it fulfills its mission without much of an issue. Um, the the sort of standout stuff that they've managed to do, I think it it is it is that sort of serenity that you have when you drive it, and the the powertrain feels really good now. They they one of the things I think they did on the Versa and Sentra, and probably during the development of this model too, was they worked really hard on the CVT to improve the sensation of driving behind that transmission, because I think it's important to their overall um, emissions and fuel economy uh, goals. So I don't think that the CVT is going away in Nissan vehicles. And so they worked, I think, pretty hard to make it feel more satisfying. It it does some simulations of gear changes and stuff uh, when necessary. And I think it overall around town, it's, it's very smooth. And so that, again, adds to some of the impression of refinement. Um, there was a couple of things I missed. Uh, I, I really wanted a 110-volt outlet, actually. <laughs> um, you know, because using it as a family car, we took it to uh, we took it to football practice, and I wanted to sit in the back on the laptop and just, you know, yeah, yeah, you go, go play your thing, get some energy <laughs> out. I'm going to sit here and do some work. Uh, and it didn't have uh, an outlet for a charger, so I thought that was actually kind of an oversight um, because that tends to be one of the things that we find ourselves doing is every charging port is generally populated. And then there's, there's also something plugged into that, that 110 volt outlet. So I, I missed that a little bit. Um, it, it didn't, I can't, I don't think it had a power hatch, um, which again, like these are, these are niceties and, and I had an SV. Um, so I'm sure you can get it on different trims. Uh, it's been a, a few days since it, it left and I don't have my exact notes in front of me. Uh, but you know, it just, it doesn't have a ton of personality. Um, and I think that's where it sort of, sort of comes up short. Although I will say the one vehicle I sort of completely forget about in this segment now is the escape. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know why, uh, but I would probably land on recommending the, um, the rogue before the escape, because I just, the escape seems like they, I don't know. Did you think they like botched it or something? I just, you haven't seen it or heard about it much. Uh, almost like they're not that proud of it. Uh, you know, I think that they, you know, they haven't talked about it too much, but it's actually selling really well. You know, if you look mm. at the sales figures, you know, through the end of September, um, you know, it's, it's selling at a, at a really good pace. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think 
they th- I don't necessarily think they think they botched it. Um, you know, it's it's certainly finding an audience. So well, it was when was it new? It was new just at the end of right at the end of uh, 2019. Like you know, production started in you know, like the, or sales started I think in November of last year. Well, that explains quite a bit. They had maybe three or four months. Yeah. Before everything completely changed. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so that may have something to do. I liked the escape when I drove it, um, but I don't think it's as efficient. Uh, it's it. Hmm. I would have to have the numbers in front of me, but just off the top of my head, the rogue felt roomier uh, than the escape. Um, and, uh, you know, it's expensive, too, where the rogue, I think, is a better deal. The Rogue is generally a pretty good value. There's a bunch of trim levels that are a pretty good price point. But, you know, when you start to get into that, the SV, uh, which I think is the is the second from the top trim level, and the Platinum, you know, now, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, mid-30s price point, you know, Platinum, you know, upper 30s for the Platinum. Um, and that's right in line with, you know, where the rest of the market is. Oh, you know, the other one that I forgot on the list that I often recommend is the Mazda CX-5, you know, which is also in this class. But again, you know, the CX-5 lacks a hybrid option. So for somebody that's looking for, you know, something in this class with better fuel efficiency, you know, there, there's really, at the moment, you know, you've got the Escape and the, the RAV4, um, and then the Tucson is going to have a hybrid and plug-in hybrid variant as well. Yeah, and that's one of the other things that I, I missed too was the ability to um, to have that that hybrid option. I think that's actually really important for this class, and I'm so I'm surprised that not everybody's doing it. Uh, and Nissan, especially with their EV experience with the Leaf, you would think that they'd have some technology that they they could easily port over and and make a plug-in. Uh, or hybrid rogue. Well, you know, Nissan's had a strange relationship with hybrids. You know, they've 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 always been kind of they've never been particularly committed to them. The first hybrid they did was the uh, Altima back in two thousand seven eight time frame, and yeah, that I... they bought the drive units from Toyota. They used the Toyota hybrid system. It was just not. Good. Right. And then, you know, then they did a hybrid on the Infiniti Q50, which I never drove one of those, but I never heard much great about them. Uh, and then, you know, there was the um, the Pathfinder, which was more mild hybrid-ish. They did a hybrid Pathfinder? Yeah, they did. And they, exactly. They, they didn't sell very many of them. And then they briefly did a Rogue hybrid as well on the previous generation Rogue, you know, and... You know that never got much attention either. So you know they they've always they've never they don't seem to have ever gotten really very excited about hybrids. Um, but they did acknowledge you know when we did at the media drive you know we asked them about that and they said yeah they're they're working on a hybrid. There's there's going to be a new hybrid version coming. That's good. I mean they really should be um, in this segment. Uh, I think people are are really looking for it and they're accepting it more and almost expecting it. Uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, in the past, you know, there was always kind of a compromise with hybrids from a from a performance standpoint. And nowadays, that's no longer the case. It's, you know, there's really, you know, they're, they're pretty natural feeling that, you know, for the most part, you know, and so you're not really compromising much to get a hybrid in a vehicle like this. You know, it just, 
it just drives normally and gets just gets really good fuel economy. Yeah, well, especially since this already has a CVT. Right. So it's really not going to change its character at all. Right. This is a really solid upgrade. I think, like you, like you said uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the the interior, the thing I love about it is they're playing with materials a little bit. So it had, did you, the one you drove have the cloth inserts like in the door panels and. Uh, I drove the platinum, so okay, so yeah, maybe it not. had it had the leather. So this has, like in the on the door panel, um, it's almost like. Where you'd have like wood or mm-hmm. metal or plastic trim, it had uh, like cloth. It looked like it was from a suit, <laughs> you know. It was like a little little pinstripe kind of um, pattern, and it was it's different. And it was enough that I just I paused for a minute and I looked at it. I was like, huh, I really like that. Like it looks it looks good. Uh, and it, this had a couple colors. It had a, a little bit of a brown. Uh, tone on the, the top of the dash and the top of the doors, and then the materials were definitely upgraded throughout the Rogue uh, for this this model. Um, the they decided to reinvent the shifter <laughs> again, again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it in the SV trim at least it has drive modes, which I liked quite a bit because I found that the standard drive mode is a little touchy. You get too much eagerness from it there it's almost like binary there's Mm -hmm. no just like real gentle acceleration in normal mode it's either sort of definitely accelerating or coasting and you get you know sort of head bobbing uh that makes everybody car sick uh can happen there so when you put it in eco mode it it backs off that response a bit and it it feels nicer uh, a little smoother and it's still not it's not like some eco modes that get terribly unresponsive yeah (laughs) Um, it wasn't bad. Well, so. you know, as far as efficiency goes, you know, just uh, while you were talking, I pulled up the on fueleconomy.gov. The um, the Rogue, the Escape, the standard, you know, the gas Escape, the one point five liter, and the um, the gas Rav Four are all rated at thirty miles per gallon combined. So they all have the almost the exact same fuel economy ratings. Uh, hmm. You know, so there's no difference there. And then you know, when you go to the hybrids, you know, now you're at 40, 41 miles per gallon with the RAV and the, the Escape. Um, they do a little better than the um, Honda Hybrid does. And we'll see how they, I think the 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 um, Tucson, the Hyundai Tucson will probably do comparable to that, you know, probably get at least 40, uh, given that, you know, what their hybrid system does in some of their other vehicles. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this is, this is what people are buying. Mm-hmm now and and it's it's a great choice uh it's just it's It's, this is the mainstream family car now yeah and and there's there's a lot of good here for that you know and i think so as as an sv so it looks like the trims are s sv sl and platinum okay i was thinking it was sl and then sv so yeah so this is this is the the sv then is that's the volume trim that's that's the highest volume one that's the one most people are going to buy and it's it's very well equipped for that trim you know a couple of things i missed seem like small, uh, small potatoes, really, and you can get them. You know, you can get you go up to the S- SL, and you, you you know you can get you know larger wheels, uh, the power liftgate that has the you know the kick feature, mm-hmm. um, this and and leather as you as you climb the uh, the model uh, ladder. Um, so this one had as an SL, I mean SV. 
stupid <laughs> names. This one had just about everything you'd want. You know, it had the the Pro Pilot Assist. It had the intelligent, uh, the the around view monitor stuff, um, and it starts at twenty seven. I think the one that I drove was like in the low thirties with a couple of options. So not a bad deal. Uh, decent cargo room, pleasant to drive. Uh, had all wheel drive, which that that bumps the price up. Front wheel drive is is twenty seven whatever, but you go with the whole wheel drive, it adds to the price. Um, yeah, it bumps you up a thousand dollars, twenty eight thousand. Um, so yeah, as a as the volume model, they've done a really good job of of giving it what what people wanted. And uh, the thing that you noted too was the touchscreen is better. It's much better. Oh yeah, uh, it's not not that antique. Nissan system that was friendly but very limited, um, with a crappy screen. You got to hit like five times. Um, it, it, their system is good, and it it uh, does you know Android Auto and, and CarPlay uh, pretty decently. So can't can't complain about that. I think uh, if you're if you're in the market, the Rogue, it's like it doesn't really live up to its name because it doesn't make any kind of mischief. It's <laughs> yeah, it's not, like, it's not really a Rogue, but no, it's it's definitely a conformist but you know it has some verve too you know it's got it it's styled nicely it's it it's a little it's a little more square mm-hmm. like once you get past the a pillar it's it's kind of you know it's chunky and square but that pays off in in interior volume and and uh cargo space and just how usable it is so uh right and sense, you know that's the, that's the other thing you know where is the contrast between what Ford did this this time around versus what Toyota and Nissan did, you know, both both the the Rav4 and the Rogue, you know, have that kind of squared off, chunkier design to them. And Ford, you know, they they bifurcated their their compact crossover line, you know, went softer, you know, more car-like with the Escape, and then you've got the uh, the Bronco Sport, you know, which has that more rugged off-road look to it because you know it's part of the Bronco family, and. The, that you know they they tried to you know rather than trying to make one vehicle to appeal across the board they've they've co- you know they've covered the bases with two different variants of the same thing yeah well and you know ford by doing that they've ho- I'm, I'm sure their hope is that they're ensuring a higher transaction price oh yeah and <laughs> so and, and i suspect that the the transaction prices on the bronco sport will be probably several thousand dollars higher than on a typical, you know, a typical escape. Yeah, well, and I think it's not it's not cynical either. It's just I mean, I guess it it is a little cynical because it's it's business decision and all most business decisions are. Uh, but the you know people are going to want it and they're going to be willing to pay for it. You know, and and I think that they they like that kind of chunky Bronco design and it it doesn't like rebecca was saying too like it's hard to tell exactly which one you're looking at for the sort of average consumer mm-hmm. right like people are just gonna see this square thing that says bronco across the front and they're, it's a bronco not a bronco sport or the, the sort of full boat bronco it's just they're all gonna be broncos right so and that's yeah that's, that's exactly exactly the point yeah so i jumped out of the rogue and i jumped into a uh, Chevy Bolt, and this is my first experience with the Bolt. Um, it's a Bolt Premier. Uh, this is a really, really good car. This is possibly the best GM car I've driven in in a very long time. Uh, it's really well thought out, really well screwed together. Um, uh, no, no complaints about range. 
Uh, although I've been charging it on a 110 volt outlet, <laughs> so it took quite a while to put some some juice back in it. Um, but yeah, man, this is a this this is a good car. Why is Chevy not trying to sell as many of them as they possibly can? I have no idea why they aren't marketing the hell out of this thing. Well, I, I actually I do. Because I think you know, even if they really tried, I'm not sure how many they could. You know, it's a it's a subcompact car. You know, it's a small car. A small yeah, but hatchback. it doesn't. It doesn't. So it doesn't feel that small. No, because... it's 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 actually surprisingly roomy. I mean, it's very well very well packaged, but you know, it it's still a car as opposed to yeah. a crossover. You know, when they first, when they launched it, they tried to call this a crossover, and then there's. It's it's a tall hatchback, you know. And and, I think that's what they call it now is a tall wagon. Yeah, (laughs) you know. But it's you know it's a car, and there's nothing wrong with that except that nobody, no Americans want to buy them. (laughs) No, they don't want to buy small cars. That's why they're building the Bolt EUV, you know, which is a little bit taller, still a little bit longer. You know, but. It's just the, if it's if it looks like a bolt though, that's going to be the, they need this powertrain in an Equinox or um, even a Traverse. Like I I know those are much larger, heavier vehicles, but that again, that's what people are buying. Like uh, having a standalone model seems like almost an archaic convention that's going to sort of go away to a certain degree. Like why can't you just put the ev stuff in the mainstream car well and and that's you know that's what's coming there there is a chevy crossover you know in that kind of equinox somewhere between equinox and blazer size class oh that's right i forgot about so that's you know that's coming um sometime in the next couple of years uh you know that they they showed us that back at the ev day back in march um which i think was about 16 years ago uh, but it, you know it's 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 on its way. So you know they're not they're not going to put the EV stuff into the existing conventional design vehicles. They're not they're not going to do any more conversions. Everything is all the EVs going forward are going to be purpose built. You know as EVs. You know and it'll it may well be a replace. It may well end up being a replacement for either the Equinox or the Blazer. Uh, or it might be, uh, you know, at least for a time, overlapping with one or both of those cars. Yeah, I, and I, as soon as I said it, I realized like part of the reason why they make EVs standalone is because people like having the image. You know, I think that's, well, that's one of the things there, that sells. There's, to there's that, you know, and you know, taking an existing architecture, existing vehicle architecture, and trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to stuff this battery in here? It's right. it always ends up being compromised. You end up with something like what the the you know as good as the Volt was in many respects. You know it was a compromise because it was designed around an existing you know Chevy Cruze architecture, um, even though it had a different body on it. Uh, the Ford um, Ford Focus Electric, same thing. You know they took the Focus and they tried to stuff lithium-ion cells anywhere they could, and you ended up with a car with no cargo space, you know, and not much room inside uh, and and not nearly enough range. So rather than trying to compromise and stuff batteries into an existing uh, conventional vehicle platform, they're just designing them around this, you know, flat battery pack uh, from the ground up. Yeah, well, whatever they did to design the Bolt, it's a really fully realized uh electric car 
And I, I love that it's it's so well thought out and so well done. It gives me hope that uh, once they finally start offering it in uh, segments that people buy, <laughs> they will they will sell them. Um, you know, there, it, there is one other flaw to the bolt, though. Oh, okay. Well, hang on. Let me go okay. through the high points. Anyway. All, right. All right. So for for 2020, they boosted the range. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's up to 259 miles on a full charge. So that's that's good. Then uh, they I'm driving the Premier, so it has the leather heated seats and the heated steering wheel and all kinds of stuff to actually reduce your range. <laughs> um, well, actually, you know, when you're driving it in cold weather, that kind of stuff will improve your range because that'll give you comfort without having to use the, the heat, the heating and ventilation system as much. Oh, that's true. Because, HVAC, yeah. because it's much yeah. more efficient to heat your body directly, you know, when, heat the parts of your body that's in direct contact rather than trying to heat all of the air inside the cabin. So, oh, that's true. you know, you can be comfortable. You can set, you know, you can set your cabin temperature, at, you know, say 60 or 65 degrees, turn on the seat heaters and the steering wheel and still be comfortable, you know, when it's, you know, 15 or 20 degrees outside. And it's going to take a lot less energy from the battery to do that than it will to, to just if you set the temperature at 70 degrees. Well, one of the things I wanted to try, which I couldn't figure out, was how to maybe... um get it to condition the interior while it was still on on shore power uh and i don't know whether that was because i need the app to do it because they they have an app for the bolt that will allow keyless entry and starting and all that that's yeah i think i think you need to do that through the app so you have to install the app on your phone and then pair it to the car so that's me being a um a lazy journalist so i'll (laughs) play with that while it's, it's here for a few more days I'll see what I get. Um, they've upgraded the uh, the cameras on it, so the surround vision and, and rear view cameras now are, are high def, and yeah, they they work. But the thing is so small and has such good visibility, you don't really need the cameras. <laughs> um, and it's it's torquey, you know. The, the performance is really good. I, I've uh, actually gotten uh, lots and lots of complaints out of the tires <laughs> when you when you go into a corner and you, you accelerate and the thing just gives it all it's like 270 pound feet 266 uh pound feet of torque uh it so it doesn't really have any problem lighting up the tires um but sometimes when you don't uh don't intend to um and you guys actually helped me figure out the the one pedal driving so i'm, I'm pleased that it can do one pedal because they they call it low mode and so it's not obvious that you drive along in low mode and that's actually, it just regens harder. Um, but it also has a paddle on the left side of the, the left steering wheel spoke that will allow you to regen on demand. So what, whatever you're doing, no matter what drive mode you're in, you can just hold that paddle down and it'll, it'll regen. It'll regen all the way to a stop. Um, so that's, that's nice. It extends your range that way. Um, the, uh, I didn't like the infotainment. It, seemed a little uh difficult to figure out so uh, you know i gotta play with that more um i think once you get used to it it's it's all right but it it took me a little bit of just staring at it going wait what function is it that i want how did i get to it um so that's uh, you know our our consistent constant complaint um but yeah i mean it 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 actually charged up pretty pretty quickly i had it down to i think i had about 80 or 75 miles left 
and just left it plugged in overnight and it, it added another 50 miles, 50 or 60 miles to it. So yesterday when I jumped in, it had, uh, actually, no, it added more than that. Uh, cause I, if I had like 75 left, I jumped in yesterday afternoon and it had like 150, uh, of range. And then I left it plugged in overnight and it's, it's almost full. So it's not terrible on a 110 volt outlet. The, the plug gets a little warm. Yeah. Uh, but you can, uh, the thing that I thought was cool is you can select whether it draws eight or 12 amps too off your circuit. So, uh, depending on, on what else you've got, you know, if you've got it in your garage on 110 outlet that also runs your, I don't know, your deep freeze or something, um, you may not have enough. If that's a 15 amp breaker, you may not have enough to, to charge the car at 12 amps and handle the, the sort of the surge of the, the refrigerator compressor. So it's well thought out that way. And that, that's, I think, the overall feeling I get from the Bolt is they, they, they really built a, a solid EV. It's well built. Nothing falls off in the rain. You know, it's, it works really well. It's, it's, uh, you mean the bumper, the rear bumper's still on there? Still on there. Oh, it's, uh, it's got good, good space inside, good foot room because the floor is flat, you know, so it, it, it has a lot of space there. Good car, good cargo room in the, in the back. So it's, it's well packaged, like you said. And it, it is, it's just a, it's a, it's a great car. I wish that they talked about it more. Cause I, I think that, you know, you're letting the boutique brands suck up all the air in the room and you general motors, Chevrolet make a really good EV and it's built to a high standard. And you should talk about it more unless you don't want to sell any. And that may be the case. Uh, but I don't think this is a compliance car. I think this is a legitimate attempt at, at really sorting out the issues behind transitioning from internal combustion, which they do really well, to full EV, which they 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 it's not like they don't have experience at it. It's just trying to find the right blend of of uh, hardware and you know, vehicle to put it in and, and all of that stuff. So, um, I liked the experience, I think in a different, different, uh, segment, it, it really has a lot of potential. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, uh, getting back to the one flaw in the, well, I was going to say, what's the one flaw? Don't let me forget the, the price tag. Well, it's not that ridiculous. It's like $37,000, 37, five, um, you know, or the premier starts at, you know, 41, nine. So 42, 42,000, which, you know, most people, they're going to look at this and say, "Okay, it's it's a really nice compact hatchback," but forty two grand? Come on! And you know the the problem is, you know, GM has sold more than two hundred thousand plugins now, so they are no longer eligible for the federal tax credit. So you know what that MSRP is minus whatever you know deal you it's can swing with the dealer. Rate. Well, no, I mean, you know, now that stick, that MSRP, that's the price, you know, unless you can negotiate down with, with your local dealer. Um, and, you know, in some cases, some states, you know, still have some incentives on there. But, you know, it's it's pretty expensive for what it is. Well, yes and no. Um, I think if you're, if you're looking at this, I, I think that dealers are probably going to offer you an attractive lease. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may take some of the sting out of it. And also like if you're buying an EV, one of the things you're going to benefit from is it's a little more expensive. Uh, great. Like they offer ridiculous loans right now. Yeah. So you could take advantage of that. You can also take advantage of the fact that there's, there's not an engine in there. There's not a transmission so much. So 
probably in terms of maintenance, there's there's less to break would be my assumption. You know, uh, you're still going to have to fix the things like, you know, shocks, struts, ball joints, brakes, all the stuff that wears. But you're you're going to get out of having to do, you know, the timing belt service and, you know, a water pump and gosh, the intake gasket leaks and stuff like I'm trying to think of all the things that, you know, maintenance wise, you still have to attend to no matter, you know, how good the the engine is in any car it it gets used you know that stuff runs and so it needs to be maintained you don't really have that with the with an ev it's just the motor just goes and you know i i think the only real thing i've i've heard of that's kind of ev specific is like you know sometimes the the batteries like the the bus bars and stuff corrode and you need to clean that up and i i can't yeah, but, imagine you know the, the battery's got you know an eight-year hundred thousand mile warranty on it so i wouldn't worry too right. much about the battery you know but you know, for comparison, you know, this thing is comparable in size to a Chevy Sonic. <clears throat> right. If you can I, still I find a Sonic. Up, like, even the, um, so the Model 3 is is significantly larger. So this is like like 90 cubic feet in interior volume. And the the uh, the Model 3 is like 113, something like that. So that, uh, that, that's, that's, in, that's including the cargo space, though, I think. Um, the, oh. uh, if you're looking at passenger volume, I think they're actually surprisingly similar. Because that's what I was trying to. Because this is a lot taller than a Model Three, right? And and so okay, uh, so so the the total interior volume of a Model Three is 112. So then you take 15 cubic feet off of that. Yeah. So that's that's like actually less. <laughs> yeah. So this, you know, it's 94 cubic feet for passenger volume, 17 for. Um, uh, cargo volume, so I, right, that's more yeah, than a model. 3. That's 100, 111 cubic feet total. Okay, so that's that's actually one less than a model three. Yeah, Mo- model three is 15 cubic feet of cargo volume. So you take that away, and, and you're plus, you're you know, in this, you know, as a hatchback, you can fold down those rear seats, and you can open that up, and you're now you're close to 50 cubic feet of cargo space if you need it. Um, so it's a perception gap. Yes, it's 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 <laughs> all about perception, but you know, getting back to the the price, you know. For comparison, you know, a Chevy Sonic starts at seventeen thousand six hundred dollars, so it's twenty thousand right. dollars cheaper. But what does the Model Three start at? Well, the Model Three <laughs> st- nominally starts somewhere around thirty-seven thousand dollars. Right. Not, and they don't make one. Like, yeah, that. it's really hard <laughs> to find one at that price point. I mean, most most of them are somewhere in the forty thousand dollar price range. But you know, if you're comparing. You know, a similar type of car, you know, I mean, people are more likely to cross shop this against a Sonic or a Nissan Versa or, uh, you know, or uh, a Honda Fit than they are against a Model 3. Well, if you're doing that, then clearly the, the, the Bolt is going to lose. It's just expensive. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, that's my point. You know, in the, the class of car this is in, it's very expensive compared to, you know, uh, a, te- a Model 3 that has similar interior volume. Uh, Model 3 is obviously quicker, but, you know, it's got, you know, comparable range. You know, base Model 3 is about 260 miles of range. This is, a, you know, 259 miles of range. And actually, you know, you can, if you use the low mode all the time and you're mostly driving around town, you can actually get well over 300 miles easily. Even before they did the, the mid-cycle update uh, last year, 
the the original version of it, I was able to get almost 300 miles out of a charge on that thing, uh, driving in low mode. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, in terms of range and, you know, its actual functionality, it's more, it, it is very comparable to a Model 3, but almost nobody's going to cross shop this against a Model 3. But see, I think, so, and I, I don't disagree. I think they should because, and I, I think this is maybe what, what GM is doing where they're saying, well, no, this isn't, this isn't a, a B segment or C segment car. This is an EV. And so no matter what segment its form factor says it is, its powertrain dictates that it's an EV. So they're saying, you know, in terms of EVs, it's comparable to this, this model that, that, you know, has the sort of the, the zeitgeist of the EV market, you know, the, the model three, when you think EV, you think Tesla, they've been very successful at that. Um, and I, I don't know how to close that. Oh, you're that the advertising gap. guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, they <laughs> should pay me for it and I'll think about it, <laughs> but I think that's, what's going on is, is yes. Uh, it presents as a small hatchback. Um, GM would do better getting you to think about it as a model three competitor and and that's where it really where it shines it's it's built really well the dealers are everywhere the uh you know you're not limited to a single charging network of really good charging network but you know a single charging network you know this thing can charge on anything um and and i think it does dc fast charging too it does uh, but only at 50 kilowatts yeah, so you've got about a half hour to put about half the range back in, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something it's, like that. Yeah, so that's not terrible, though. Um, but it's because it's that, that small hatchback, it's it's much more useful than a car with a trunk that's that's kind of tight. You know, Model 3 is, is like three series size. Even the Model S is not that big on the inside. So this is a much more useful day-to-day -day EV, but it's not as cool. You yeah, know, well, and that, that's that that's the problem is you need that cool factor right now, which is why, you know, they're building the Hummer. Which is fine. Like, great. Um, you know, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Like, people are going to buy big trucks like that anyway, regardless. So, yeah, make one an EV <laughs> and can and, and, and it's, it's a cool looking thing. Um, so I, I wish that they could sort of work on that sort of uh, perception, because this is a really good car. And I want more cars like this. And I, I think that this is an EV that I would, I would part with the $37,000 for because it's, it's, it's good. It's just well thought out. It's well built. It, it's really more car than I need. Um, and, and so that's, you know, generally all, all good things. Uh, and I, I would feel really confident buying one versus, uh, the, the things that float out there, um, anecdotally about the ownership experience of some other EV brands that are more boutique and I'm not just picking on Tesla, but you know, other, other brands too. Like you start to get into boutique automakers, you get boutique automaker problems. So back with a volume automaker, they have all that good, that stuff is figured out. <laughs> and that means a lot to me, you know, I, I would consider leasing it, you know, and I think that's really where it's going to shine for its first few years. And that's probably where it has shined is is being leased for what it's been out since what 2017 uh yeah it came out as a 17 model in 16 yeah and you know 
for for what it's worth, you know, you can get. Uh, I just looked up on uh, KBB.com. They list the fair market value for a t- used uh, 2018 uh, Bolt as twenty one thousand to twenty four thousand dollars for the Bolt Premier. That's a really good deal. Yeah, you know, so you know, if you can't, you know, if you want a really good EV, but you can't manage, you know, forty thousand dollars for one. Think about, you know, consider a two-year-old, two, two or three-year-old one. You've got, you know, only slightly less range. It was still 240 miles of range, you know, for, you know, twenty-three, dollars $23,000. You know, that, you know, is probably going to be relatively low mileage. You know, that's going to be, you know, probably about, uh, uh, well, they say, okay, so this is, uh, oh, here's one. Yeah, they've got one that they list at 20,559 with 32,000 miles on it. You know, that's, that's a low, I mean, that's practically new. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, if you, if you want one of these, you know, you really should consider one, you know, even, even a used one, cause they're, they're not that old. Um, and you know, it's, it's a fantastic car. Yeah. Well, and, and was it Jalopnik that went through and said, uh, they had a piece a while ago, a few weeks ago that <laughs> basically said like Chevy dealers are offering ridiculous deals on new bolts. Yeah. Like, you can get a new bolt down to like 20 with, with all the incentives and stuff or in the twenties. So, so, so shop around. Don't, don't pay, yeah. don't pay sticker price. <laughs> um, I, we just, we just see, we just made the case for it. Yeah. Don't, don't buy the fancy thing, buy the bolt. Okay. Cause you know, get other fancy stuff in your life. It leaves more room. You can, you and can the buy bolt is big car. enough to carry the fancy stuff in the back. Right, exactly. I love that actually that it's a, it's a hatch because you know small sedans. Um, small sedans suck. I, I spent too many years with small sedans and small children, and the problem with small sedans and small children is that the equipment for said small children is large. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and it does not fit in the trunk of the small sedan. Um, yeah. So it it's is it's a great EV. So I you know good for GM for making it. Um, please try to sell more of them. I'd I'd love to see a Blazer with this powertrain. I think that would be great. It'd be killer. Well, it's actually going to be the next generation powertrain and batteries, so it'll be even better. Yeah. So uh, yeah, ringing endorsement for the Bolt at least from from my side. And I don't even have a charger. I'm I'm like I'm like uh, uh, Rebecca, where it's like I'm I'm a loser running a. a power cord across the backyard and in the rain like hey whatever it's grounded it's fine the dog will let me know it's, if the it's grass plugged is into energized. a gfci outlet so you're good yeah actually it's not <laughs> oh, okay. never mind mine and is old house yeah no we've got we got like knob and tubing I, and stuff in this house it's great i got i got, I got so, yeah. gfcis here so uh, we have some yeah. but not all <laughs> whatever all right. next house is gonna be like star grounded and just be yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's it. That's my garage. All right. Thanks, Dan. And uh, now we're going to head back uh, to uh, Rebecca. And uh, Rebecca and I are going to discuss a couple of news items. Over the past week and a half, uh, you and I have both driven uh, a new product that is going to be hitting dealerships in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the first ones are hitting the ports now, and they should be arriving at some dealerships in the next two to three weeks. And that's the uh, the Genesis GV80. You drove it last week in uh, in New York area, in the New York area, and I yes. drove one this week uh, here in the Detroit area. I'd love what- to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, well, you, tell us what you thought first. I mean, why? But, well, why should the, I? <laughs> okay, well, I mean, the, the two of us. Um, I think you actually saw it in person before I did last year. Yes, um, I did before a, a few weeks ahead of the LA Auto Show last November. 
the two of us sat in the GV80 at, uh, on the floor at the LA Auto Show. I remember one of the things that, that we commented on was, you know, a lot of the finishing on the interior, the the knurling on the controls on the on the shift uh, the shift uh, or on the um, uh, media controller and on the knobs and and everything else, you know, had a really interesting texture to it. it you know, it wasn't like a traditional knurling where you have that kind of diamond pattern. It was a it was a different kind of texture to it. Um, and then you know the materials, you know, the 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 open pore woods and the leather and everything, you know, it really felt high end, really felt premium, uh, and looked it too. You know, so it looked and, and felt the part. Um, yeah. And. So, you know, I got a chance to, to drive a couple of them this week, um, both both of them with the, the V6 engine. So they oh, so you didn't drive the four cylinder. I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to jump in, the, in one of the four cylinders. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But, you know, so they, they offer it with a, a 2.5 liter turbo four cylinder, which has about 300 horsepower. Uh, and then the twin turbo uh, V6, which is closer to 400 horsepower. With 3.5 uh, liter. Yeah, it's a 3.5 okay. liter. And, you know, of course, you know, being part of the Hyundai Motor Group, you know, these, these engines are, you know, share their architecture with other engines within the Hyundai, Kia, Genesis family. Uh, so, you know, both of these, you know, are, you know, part of the, the SmartStream family that have dual uh, port and direct injection for better drivability and emissions and everything. Uh, so th this version, the 2.5 in here is a little bit higher output than what you'll find in a Hyundai. The Hyundais, I think, are about 270, 275 horsepower from their 2.5 turbos. This is a little over 300 um, in the four-cylinder and, and, and more in the V6. And you know, there's a lot of really nice, nice features in here. I mean, the whole thing felt really well executed. The shape of the thing is great, you know. And it's it's unfortunate that this car wasn't available when the Genesis brand mm -hmm. launched as a standalone brand a few years ago. Because I think we I think we've we've been fans of Genesis for a long time, you know, especially the G80 and and the G70 and and to to in a different way the G90, uh, but. You know, sedans have been on the decline, and you know, not having a, a a crossover in the lineup, I think, has really hurt Genesis trying to establish itself as a standalone brand apart from Hyundai. And you know, I think they did an amazing job on this thing. And what's what's interesting about this, you know, this this overall size, you know, is comparable uh, to you know Lincoln Aviator and um, BMW X5 and. Uh, forget what the the other ones they, they talked about. Um, you know the Audi Q7, and but most versions of the GV80 are two row only. You can get it with a third row, with an optional third row in in one of the high end trims, but for the most part, it's it's really meant as a as a two row, which you know means that it's got actually got lots of room in there. Uh, you know, so there it's it's very spacious inside, and this this is a new rear wheel drive. Uh, longitudinal engine architecture that they share um, with the new G80, which I'll be driving in a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's exclusive to the Genesis brand. So this is not being shared with Hyundai and Kia at all. Uh, which although, is really smart to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they're obviously sharing powertrains and a lot of other hardware, but but the, the platform itself is unique. And so really you can think of this as kind of a G80 wagon that sits up a little bit higher you know, than, than a G80 sedan would. And I think it, it works really well. The driving dynamics were outstanding, you know, good steering feel, great ride quality, great performance. Um, and uh, the, 
from a functional standpoint, you know, one thing that did annoy me a bit was that center controller, the way they executed that. Um, because unlike most center controllers, which I generally like, you know, for the media, the media controller, um, this one, instead of sitting up and above, uh, you know, being like a knob, is more like if you think back to the old school original Apple iPods, you know, mm. it's 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 flush mounted, and uh, you you know you put your finger on the the knurled perimeter of it to to turn it, and then you can also toggle it, uh, you know, to up down left right, you know, to select stuff or to move up and down in the interface, and it's a non touchscreen interface, uh, so the 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 14 inch display sits up on the dash, you know, up away from your reach. Uh, so you, you only interface with it either by so voice you, or you through like that, that controller. You like that. <laughs> I don't think this controller was executed as well as it should right. be. Yeah. You know, because the, and, and let me explain what, and what I told to the guys at Genesis, you know, I think while that, that knurling that I described earlier looks really good and, and generally feels really good. I think, that I don't get enough traction on it with my finger when I'm rotating it. And because it also acts as a, as a toggle, you know, to go left, right, up, down in the interface, um, I ended up finding myself having to press down a little bit harder on it. There's enough resistance in it to rotation that I had to press down enough that often you know, a number of times I found myself actually toggling it at the same time I was trying to rotate it. Um, and I think that, you know, that diamond pattern knurling, I think where you get a little more traction with your finger, it would actually have been more effective there. Um, so, you know, aside from that, you know, the, the rest of it was fine. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of getting used to it and finding the right balance of, of pressure on there so you get the traction with your finger so it rotates, you know, without toggling it. Yeah, I think that I had I had some of the same issues with it. It's concave in design, but it was yeah the not center in, the center part is it's kind of right dished the center part's concave, but it was not intuitive enough. And actually, a lot of the feedback that I I provided and others in my group provided uh, was that the infotainment system really was super confusing. It was not intuitive. The voice control was good, but trying to use that that the controller was really tough. I didn't like the fact that their, the gear selector was a rotary knob as well. So you had- And that one is one that actually sticks up. Right, so the rotary knob, the, 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 um, the gear selector sticks up and then, the, uh, and then this multimedia controller is in front of it. So you kind of let rest your palm on the gear selector and then touching the the controller i found myself often reaching for the gear selector by mistake because they're they're side by they're right next to each other i mean they're in parallel to each other and so i found the positioning to not be as easy to get to know and keep in mind too that you know we're we're handed these cars i was handed this car in down you know in uh lower Manhattan, and then told, here, go to this location. So we're sort of learning all this on the fly. Ideally, you know, as a, if you purchase this, you sit down and spend some time with it, but you do want 
that initial interaction to be intuitive. And as listeners know, if you need technology broken, I am your girl. (laughs) (laughs) I will do that for you. (laughs) And so it was comforting and validating (laughs) to hear other people have similar issues with the multimedia. That being said, I did get a chance to drive that four-cylinder. That's actually what I drove first. I drove it up about about 85 miles outside of the city, and it was really, really good. They actually, I didn't really understand this route plan because they had us in terrible traffic, which there still is terrible traffic in the New York area going through. I think we went through the Holland Tunnel over to New Jersey, and it was just, oh, it was a mess. It was a mess. And but the acceleration was there when I needed it. And this is, you know, this is a 2.5 liter, four cylinder, 300 horsepower. And that thing was more than happy to take me where I needed to go. I mean, it was really, really good. I drove the 3.5 liter V6 back. Uh, that has 375 horsepower. It's a nice to have, but I, I but you not know, necessary. It's not necessary. I mean, sure, it's fun. It's great. But man, that four-cylinder, they did some really good tuning on that. I thought that was really, really good. I love the way this thing looks. It's just gorgeous. And I will say that as I was weaving my way through Manhattan, at every traffic light, people were stopping to look at it in Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it it definitely stands out. You know, it's not a copycat of all the other, you know, premium it's not, crossovers. And, and it's very elegant. It's beautiful to look at. And so, you know, obviously we've all driven cars that people turn around and look at, but sometimes it's not very good. It's not for the right reason. Yeah. This I think is just the proportions of it are beautiful. The interior, as you mentioned, the interior materials are just gorgeous on it. The, the only thing, and people commented on this when I posted on my Instagram, this steering wheel is very old school. It's got this big fat middle and the, and the spokes on it are really large. Like, like, it's, so, it's a two spoke wheel. It's a two-spoke wheel, <laughs> and some people were commenting, you know, about a bad 80s steering wheel, and I could kind of see that. So I think, you know, that's but that was on probably- the on the on the flip side, though, you know, it also has you know a nice thick rim, and so I found yes. that you know holding it, even though you've got these two fairly wide spokes, you know, my fingers wrapped around it, you know, it was kind of they were kind of cut out a little bit in the back. You right. can, you know, even if you're, you're holding it at nine and three where the spokes are it's still very comfortable to hold. It actually feels yes. really good in your hand. It looks a little unusual, <laughs> but it but it, it definitely feels good in your hand. It does. I did notice that it was different though, but, yeah. but no, you're right. It does. It feels really good. And, and again, it's just, it's beautiful. There's an, uh, there's an incredible amount of refinement in it. Really, really quiet. It did. It's funny. Cause I had, I, I drove the Q7 down to the city to go and drive this thing then. So I went from, you know, a, what would potentially be a competitor, the Q7 is bigger, but, you know, it's driving that and kind of missing that really emotional connection and then getting into this, getting into the GB80, it just was lovely. It was a really, really, really good experience. I, I really liked it. I was really happy with it. And I think that, 
you know, if you're in this market for ideally that five seater, uh, I think this is great. The And keep in mind too, on a global basis, you know, if you think about the usage that this would get in Korea and other Asian markets, it's really, you know, a vehicle that you're going to you're going to tout executives around in. And so they're going to be in that second row and that second row has so much room. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. I understand why they want to offer, at least offer a seven seat, but I would say that you'd almost be better off spending money on like the Kia Telluride or the Hyundai Palisade. If you need a seven row SUV, Uh, I think that this Genesis GV80 really shines with that five seat uh, configuration and with a lot of flexibility in terms of cargo and 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 passenger room. On the the topic of interface, did you get a chance to try one of the I think it's the the top end trim level with the 3D instrument cluster? Yes. What did you think of it? So I thought it was pretty cool. I'm just gonna I'm running, running through my pictures real quick to just. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Why did you have issues with it? No, no, I, I was just uh, curious. You know your your impression of it. You know, so what this is, uh, you know, it's a full digital cluster. Full, you know, so there's no no mechanical gauges there. Uh, the standard cluster has um, a re- regular analog gauge on the left, and then an eight inch digital display on the right. Uh, this this optional one is is all digital, but it's it's a sort of a multi-plane display and there's actually uh, an IR sensor uh, similar to what's used for, you know, the driver monitor systems on some, some of the like um, uh, GM super cruise and so on Mm -hmm. that is looking at your face to look where your eyes are and where you're looking. And if you shift around what it actually does, you know, it's using the, the parallax of where your eyes are, where, where they're looking to adjust the planes of this so it it actually looks three-dimensional so it it looks like it's got some depth to it um you know it's uh you know i'm not sure how useful it actually is it's kind of neat to look at i mean you know and the the interface is very attractive you know it's a really nice design uh you know most of the time you know you're you're hopefully going to be sitting relatively stationary right in front of it (laughs) looking at it uh, so you're not hopefully shifting back and forth too much while you're driving. Uh, but, uh, you know, even then, you know, you can it does appear to have some depth to it, which you know, just it's it's one of those things that kind of maybe makes you feel a little happy. You know, it, it's less it's because it, it feels more physical. You know, it's not right. it's not that uh, comp- more I'd say more sterile flat that flat, flat right. surface it's inter- um, it's much more interactive yes so so what's interesting about that eye tracking movement there's actually a company that i've uh, know of here in in the new york area that has installed that on retro retro installed it on vehicles um what's really interesting about that is there, it's it's ideal for things like drowsy driving and getting a more accurate read on how people are driving, where they're whether they are distracted, following their eye movements. This system that this that uh, these people have developed, it actually can even monitor your temperature and it can indicate 
whether you have COVID or not, which is crazy, <laughs> but yeah, a little well. big brother-ish. Um, but at the same time, you know, an interesting idea. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I if think you're using that, IR cameras, IR sensors for that, yeah. you'd be able to tell the, the temperature gradient of your face. Right, and blood pressure. And, you know, of course, if, you know, God forbid something happens to you while you're driving like a stroke or a heart attack or something. So there's all sorts of uses for this technology that I think is really, really interesting. And and I thought, you know, you're right. I mean, it's, it's again, it's that connection, right? It's that, it's that feeling of that the vehicle is a partner to you and interacting with you and, and there, and the infotainment system and multimedia is there to make your driving experience better. And I think a lot of times that's not always the case, but this I think is, it does help you. It gives good feedback. It gives, it, it, it was, you know, there was, there was aspects of it that I think once they smooth out the interface, I think it'll be really, really good. Uh, it's just that that the controller, I think, was an obstacle to what is otherwise a pretty good system overall. I think, too, there were some things that were buried a little bit that I wanted a little bit more clear. Um, but, you know, overall, I think it was it was good. It's just uh, there there's opportunities for improvement there. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I think it's a, it's an excellent vehicle. And uh, like I said, I'll have the G80 in a couple of weeks, which you know, has basically the same type of interior. It's got the same sort of interface. And so I'll have- The controller's have to... different though on uh, it. Is, is, is it? it? Is it different? I, no, I think it's the same. Okay. Well, that'll uh, be interesting same. to see. Uh, we'll yeah. see if the, the texturing might be different, but I, I mean, it's okay. the same same basic design. Once I've had time to spend more more time with it, you know, spend a few days with it, we'll see if that- you know, if that feel of it improves a little bit. It, what what my issue really was, what I kept wanting to push when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, no, like, I, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, you know, like I would, I wanted, I, that's what I, that's what I really took away from it was I needed to, the times when I wanted to just say, okay, yes, this is what I want and kind of press enter, if, if you will, I, it didn't do it. So then I was like, okay, where am I supposed to press then? And so again, it was, it was really focused around, I think the controller. And then I do think some of the menus were confusing and, and where things, how you accessed uh, items within the menu. The, the, the look itself, it, it has this tablet, this sideways tablet look, and it is kind of, um, it's not integrated into the dash. It is kind of set above the dash, but not in a. It didn't. It didn't compromise visibility or anything like that. But yeah, I think I mean, that it's not. It's not terribly tall. You know, it's it's, right. it's, it's it's very much a very widescreen display. Right. Exactly. So, you know, again, I it's it's certainly not a reason not to purchase, but I do hope that they take some feedback and maybe simplify some of the interactions with the multimedia. But otherwise, it was, it's just, I think it's just a stunningly beautiful vehicle. Yeah. One other thing I want to touch on, on on this vehicle was some of the improvements they made in the driver assist systems. So yes. this has a, a second generation of Hyundai's highway driving assist, um, which, you know, is not quite a level two system, sort of a semi, you know, maybe level 1.5 system. So, you know, it does, it, tries to do lane centering. But one of the, the big things they changed this year is, or that they enhanced this year, is they added two front corner radar sensors. So we've had the, the rear corner radar sensors for the blind spot monitoring. They added two more in the front corners. And that enables a bunch of different things. 
one of the big things is detecting cut-ins. So you mm. know, if you're using adaptive cruise control, you're driving down the highway, somebody starts to pull over into your lane, those corner, those short-range corner radars can pick up somebody pulling over and you know it'll it'll back off and you know make sure that there's enough room there. Uh, it so interacts moving. more like you like like a peripheral vision. Yes, exactly. And uh, another thing that it does is you know as you're driving down the highway, <clears throat> if you're passing a wide vehicle like a, a semi, uh, you know normally it will try and stay pretty much in the center of the lane. Mm-hmm. But you know when you're passing a wide vehicle or something, you know vehicle is too close over to your lane, uh, then it will kind of edge over in your lane, you know, stay, still staying in the lane, but it'll edge over to give a little more room. So you're right. not running too close to that vehicle that's beside you. And then resume again, uh, you know, also, you know, using the map information uh, as an input. So when, you know, when there's curves in the road, uh, you know, if it, if it determines that your speed is maybe a little bit too high for that curve, you know, it'll automatically back off a little bit and then resume as you exit the curve, you know, sorts of things. Mercedes has been doing that for a while. GM does that in Super Cruise. There's others that, that are doing that. So that's, those those are all really good features. And then, you know, other things that they're doing with those corner radars um, is the uh, enhancing the forward collision assist. So if you're making a left turn and there's a car coming toward and coming towards you in the opposite direction, you know, it can... Uh, use that to enhance the automatic emergency braking, you know, if there's a, a potential for a collision, you know, or when you're crossing a junction or, um, you know, if if you're, uh, dri- you know, driving down a two-lane road and somebody, you know, coming the opposite direction and you're a little bit too close to that center line, you know, it'll automatically uh, kind of edge you back over in the other direction. So a lot of really nice, uh, you know, added capabilities that are very, they're very subtle. Uh, you know, they're not going to jump out at you, but they're, they're there to help, to, to be helpful. And I think those are, those are really good things, you know, by having those extra sensors in there. They are, for sure. And, you know, there's also a couple things that they pointed out besides the 3D cluster, which is actually a world's first. Um, the smart cruise control yeah. with machine learning, which is really cool. So it learns how you drive. And we asked them, how long does that take? And it actually is very quick. Like, it will it will start to learn. Like, one of the things that I find with uh, cruise control is, adaptive cruise control specifically, is that the there's – the drivers that are in the New York area, and this probably is everywhere, but it, it, they're very aggressive and they do kind of, you know, they dart, they dart in and, and cut you off. And, and I rarely get the opportunity to use cruise control in any kind of traffic situation because the car doesn't respond to the environment. And with this smart cruise with machine learning, it will, it will start to adapt. So they say. The other thing too that this has is uh, road active noise canceling, which oh, again yeah. is a world's that's a, for, first. That's, and, that's oh an my interesting gosh. feature. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why it was so quiet without being, um, without having that feeling of you're in a bubble, like a puffy bubble. It you could still hear obviously, but it was it was a really really nice quiet ride. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the way the way this works, you know, I mean, when you've driven, if you've driven down a rough road, you know, pay, a road where the pavement's kind of broken, you know, you'll you'll hear inputs from the road coming up, you know, through the tires, through the suspension into the the cabin, and what this is doing, you know, traditional adaptive noise control or active noise control is just using microphones in the cabin 
to measure some of the ambient sound, especially from the engine. So looking for those boomy, unpleasant frequencies that, that people don't like to hear. And then it's using the audio system to generate opposing sound waves that cancel the, those, those unpleasant frequencies. What this new system is doing is that actually, in addition to the microphones, it's adding, they added accelerometers on the four corners on the suspension to measure the, the inputs from the road so that, you know, when you hit a, a, a frost heave or something, you know, sh sharp inputs that causes the, the wheel to move in a certain way that are, would characteristically, you know, create certain kinds of sounds in the cabin. They use that information, feed that in, and also generate opposing sound waves to cancel out those sound waves. So it's, you know, it's not making a completely silent environment, but it's creating a very comfortable, re uh, refined, serene environment. So it's very, very quiet and relaxed in there. But you can still, you know, if, if there's an ambulance coming up behind your you know, emergency vehicle, you're going to hear that. You, you know, you're going to hear somebody's horn honking, things like that. But the things that you don't want to hear just kind of magically fade away into the background. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really impressive. It worked really, really well. I always like bringing up something and then letting you explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, I was, you know, after I drove it, you know, I was talking to the Genesis guys and I said, first thing I told them was, you know, this is the vehicle that the folks at Cadillac should be benchmarking <sighs> immediately. They should get their hands on one of these and benchmark it for NVH because no, right. it's so good in so many ways. Um, you know, and, you know, in, especially in ways that we've complained about for Cadillac, you know, the NVH being one of their, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're 100% right, Sam, because it is something that we bring up a lot because luxury, you know, qu quietness is part of the luxury experience. You know, even if you're, if, and think about it, like even with consumer goods or buying a house, one of the things that you pay extra for is quietness. That's why, that's why you know, houses near, near a highway or near the airport don't have as much value because it's it's noisy. And so when you get into a vehicle that you've spent a good amount of money on, you want that quiet experience. And speaking of money, I thought the price points on this were really, really good as well. So the one that I, I, I drove both of them, um, the 2.5 liter all wheel drive starts at 48.9, which is that's, crazy. That's the, rear, that's the rear drive. That's rear wheel drive. And yeah. um, the one that I drove was um, all wheel drive, fully loaded for 63.8, destinations $1,000 and $1,025. So 64.8 for a vehicle that is absolutely jam packed. I mean, that is just, those kinds of numbers are really, really stunning, I think. Yeah, and even you know the fully loaded, you know the the 3.5 only comes with all wheel drive, so there's no rear yes. wheel drive V6. Um, right. The the Prestige, the 3.5 T all wheel drive Prestige, you know, is seventy one thousand dollars before the delivery charge. You, know, you which don't is, even need again, that one. A, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know it's a great value. I mean, if you want that that cool 3D cluster, you have to go for that one. Um, oh, okay. You're right. Cause that's what that was on the way back. I, yeah. Yeah. But okay. even, you know, even the, you know, the advanced, uh, you know, and if you want the, if you want the third row seat, you have to get the advanced plus, which is 65. Uh, but the advanced at 64, 350, you know, has most of what you want in there, including that lexicon premium audio system. I mean, that uh, is just a heads up display. Yeah. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. You know, this, this segment is really crowded with competitors. 
there's a lot to choose from here. And I just think that, you know, while Genesis is late to the party, they do have a really, really nice dress on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of uh, being late to the party, the GMC Hummer EV was revealed in full this past week uh, to the world. The two of us saw it uh, back in March at uh, one of the last events we went to, the, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the, the GM EV Day. We saw it there. But it was shown to the world during the uh, World Series game on Tuesday night, I think. And then uh, Wednesday morning, you know, they did some media briefings where we got a little more detail on a bunch of stuff. At launch, they're launching with just one version, the Edition 1, which has all the goodies in there. And for the first year, that's the only one that's going to be available. What they're not saying is how many of them are going to be available, although they, they are sold out. So the, the Edition 1, which is the first-year model, is they've got – reservations for all of those now so if you want one now you're gonna to have to wait till 2022 this is coming out about a year from now a little less than a year from now um the edition one a thousand horsepower <laughs> th three motors zero to 60 in three seconds uh, $112,000 well you forgot the crab walk oh and crab walk yes <laughs> so you know it, it's it's interesting you know I was talking to uh Peter Valdez de Pena from CNN mm. um, the, later that day on Wednesday after the briefing. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the features that are in here, you know, things like, you know, the air spring suspension, the crab walk, you know, are actually technologies that have been around for a while. They're not necessarily new technologies, but they're using them in new ways. Uh, like the, the crab walk, you know, GM offered four wheel steering or quadra steer system on their full size pickups in the early 2000s. Oh. Gosh, early I remember that. From about 2003 to 2005. And they discontinued it because nobody bought it. <laughs> but it was actually a really cool idea because, you know, when you've got a big full-size pickup truck, those things are a pain in the ass to maneuver. And I would think that there's got to be military vehicles that do this as well, right? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's all there's – It's not been, like it's new technology. Been, yeah, there's been – you know, the first all-wheel drive systems came out in the early 90s – or yeah. all-wheel steering systems, I mean – um, you know, Honda had one on the Prelude, a mechanical system on the Prelude, oh, that's starting right. around 90 or 91. Uh, you know, and there were various vehicles that have had it over time, including the Cadillac CT6 offered a, an all-wheel drive, all-wheel steering system. Uh, you know, and typically the way these work is at low speeds, they uh, do counter steering. So the, the, the front and rear wheels steer in opposite directions. So that gives you better maneuverability, really tight turning circle. And I guess in the case of the uh, the Hummer, it's going to have like a 37-foot turning circle, uh, which for a big big truck like this is, <laughs> is very impressive. Um, and then what they do uh, generally is at higher speeds, at highway speeds, is the, the wheels steer in phase. They steer in the same direction so that when you're changing lanes, you know, it gives you extra stability. So you can change lanes without without the vehicle, you know, the vehicle can move over, you know, kind of doing that crabbing at high speeds. What they're doing on the Hummer is they're adding this extra mode, the crab walk mode, to do that in-phase steering at low speeds. So when you're going through a tight trail, you know, you can enable crab walk and turn all the wheels in one direction and kind of move diagonally, you know, to get around a boulder or something like that. And, you know, that's a, a cool feature. Nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I, I think, you know, for 
you know, for a vehicle's designed for off-road driving. I, I think that's that's a great extra mode. And considering this stuff is all electronically controlled, it's all just you're just adding a few extra lines of software for this mode. So it's it's not a big deal. Um, you know, and the air spring suspension can raise and lower it by six inches. But overall, what do you think of this vehicle? I think this thing's a riot. And the reason that I think it's a riot is because the buyer that has $112,000 to spend on a car like this wants all these toys. You have to go back to who this is buying, who this is for. It is not for the everyman, as Dan would say. <laughs> you, this is for innovators and early adopters. There's only a, a one- Innovators? And that, well, that's the beginning of the technology adoption curve. It doesn't actually start with, with early adopters. It starts with innovators. So that's like, that's like the 1%. And then you, as you start to move into adopt early adopters, then they get into like the 2 to 3% part of, and, and so, you, so when you look at the technology adoption curves, this is for those very, very early adopters, very early. And so they want all this stuff. They want the more bells and whistles and crazy things that they, this thing does, the more they will like it. And, and that's why they plunked down $112,000 to be the first. So it has to be different. This isn't, if you want a typical electric vehicle, there's other options. This is not it. So I think it's a riot. I mean, my friends, uh, Emmy Hall, she just competed in this Rebel rally uh, and they had the first, the Rivian, and they mm -hmm. competed with the truck, electric truck, uh, you know, in the electrified class of the Rebel. And I look at this thing and I think I want to drive that in the Rebel <laughs> next year. But I think that, you know, in order, this is the right type of, if you're going to put out a Hummer EV, this is, this is what you put out. To me, you know, I look at this thing and, and the more I think about it, this is for those guys that, you know, are feeling insecure about themselves. <laughs> it's you know. not. It is. It is. That's what, I mean, that's what Hummers have always been. Yeah, but you this know. is more than that. No. Well, I mean, how, how, how is it more than that? Because it's an electric vehicle. So what? What does that have to do with being insecure? I mean, you you would know more about being male insecure than I would. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's this big brawny thing, you know, this massive beast that goes zero to 60 in three seconds. Who the hell needs a truck that goes zero to 60 in three seconds? Come on. I know. Well, if it can, why not? I can't believe that Be I'm advocating for males, but look, <laughs> is that you know, your I, I, You know, I, I wrote a, a blog post recently about this, you know, about EV makers, you know, that keep trying to one up each other on, you know, acceleration and performance, you know, and okay, we have, they, you've proven conclusively that EVs are as fast as anything out there. Now stop. Okay. <laughs> you've made your point. Just stop. You know, this is ridiculous. We, we don't need people driving a vehicle this large, you know, it's bad enough that we have so many people driving vehicles this large that you can't see out of. And then you pile all this performance on top of that. You know, I think I think it's just ridiculous and, you know, socially irresponsible. And, okay, you know, fine. Call me it's what you want. It's an electric vehicle-wise. Isn't that, isn't that the whole idea is that you want – it's clean emissions, right? It's 
but that's I mean that's the that's the only thing that's that's reasonable about this is that it's electric. You know, I mean if you're if you're going off roading, you know, this thing is going to weigh three tons at least. You know, this is okay. going to be at least a six thousand pound vehicle. Yep. And this it's huge. You know, and okay, yes, you're not if you're driving, you know, out in Moab or the Rubicon Trail. Yes, you're not polluting the air with it, but you're still trampling on the environment with this thing. Well, that's and, that's and the it. reality I mean, is that most people that buy these things are never going to go anywhere near those trails anyway. No, so they they're, they're, they have no business owning something like this. <laughs> I just I I don't know. I mean, they're, first of all, they're not going to be building two or three hundred thousand. No, uh, these, you know, right? there's going to be so, a few a few thousand of these at most. Yeah, so it's going to be you know there is that aspect of it, yeah. and. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we don't need that people still buy. So need is very, very relative. And I just think, you know, I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I just pulled up the technology adoption curve. Two and a half percent of people are considered innovators and 13 and a half percent are considered early adopters. So I do think that, you know, you're looking at a small percentage of the marketplace, but this isn't a vehicle for every man. This isn't, that's not the purpose of it. And, you know, any, any more than like the Ford GT is built for every man. That's not built for, for everybody either. And so I think this is a fun way for GMC to showcase its EV capabilities. Because keep in mind too, that, you know, GM really needs to make a mark in a world if in fact we go in 15 years in California bans the sale of new gasoline vehicles, GM has to be part of that conversation. So from a corporate standpoint, I think that this is this is an important vehicle so that people start seeing GM as a technology leader as opposed to a legacy automaker. So strategically, right. and, I think this is an important vehicle for them. And, and, and uh, you know, I understand why they're doing this as their first of their, their new generation of EVs. You know, it, you you know first of all, splash. you know, using, yeah, using, you know, using Hummer, you know, Hummer was the brand that uh, epitomized, you know, the anti-green movement, you know, in Absolutely. the late 2000s. You know, this, this was the vehicle that, you know, um, environmentalists were going to dealerships and going in subdivisions and vandalizing these things because yes. they were using so much gas. And to now have this vehicle be, you know, the standard bearer for a new generation of GM electric vehicles, you know, it, it's it's an interesting play on that. Um, you know, and certainly- I would love to have been in that meeting. Yeah, I, would I, I would love to have been in that meeting when yeah, somebody yeah. said, let's make Hummer EV. Yeah, you know, and- <laughs> Well, one of the interesting things about the briefing is, you know, they talked about they started this project, you know, beginning of April 2019. You know, so they're only 18 months into this, um, which I think almost certainly is a somewhat misleading statement, because I think that while they probably greenlit the Hummer and started working on the Hummer version in April of last year, you know, they have been clearly working on this platform and these battery electric vehicles, these battery systems and drive systems you know, for several years. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean the uh, so, engineering was started 18 months ago. Yeah. So, you know, all they, you know, what they started was, you know, putting this new top hat on this platform 18 months ago. And, you know, it'll be roughly 30 months by the time it gets into production next year. Um, you know, and my guess is that, you know, even though in the first year of production, we're only going to see the edition one, even the, you know, the later versions, you know, the, the base version, which is going to cost $80,000, isn't coming until mm -hmm. 2024. 
Right. Um, you know, I think that probably by the end of next year or early in 2022, we're going to see a Chevrolet pickup based on the same architecture that is going to be much more, much, much more affordable. You know, that, you know, that's going to be the volume vehicle, not, not this vehicle. This is, this is actually, the halo. So I, I don't know if this would be too cannibalistic. I, I think that Chevy is, is I'm just, I'm thinking about, I'm still thinking about those early adopters and these people that who was going to buy uh, a working man's EV truck. And I would like to also see them put it under the GMC brand. And again, I know there's like some conflict because technically this is Hummer GMC or a, GMC, a GMC Hummer, Hummer. Uh, you know, but if people want more of a practical version of this vehicle, would GMC also Oh yeah, I'm offer. sure there'll be a GMC as right. well. So yeah. I, I mean, that's and again, I'm just thinking of 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 the of who buys electric vehicles. You know, a lot of the work I did in Saudi Arabia was centered around who buys electric vehicles, and and who doesn't. And so, you know, I think one of the reasons that Tesla's been so successful uh, is, you know, despite <laughs> all of the other issues that go along with it, is because they are building a car for these innovators and early adopters with a with a, a feeling of premium and luxury. So, I think that I'd love to see this technology expanded across more GM products, but I do think that you have to be strategic and understand who's in the marketplace, even in 2024, who's going to be in the marketplace. It's only a couple of years away. So, you know, I think that from a consumer perspective, they've done a good job of getting this vehicle with all the bells and whistles with a high price point because early adopters they don't buy Chevy. That's what we've seen. You know, they buy. Yeah, I mean, they've had the opportunity to buy the Bolt for four years and they've stayed away in droves. Exactly. So let's try this strategy and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, from a purely from a marketing standpoint, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, this was the right thing for them to do. But, you know, from a from any kind of rational standpoint, you know, this vehicle makes no sense at all and nobody should yes, buy it. Yes, but that's it. why you're the engineer and I'm the marketer. Exactly. <laughs> yes, you're, you're exactly right there. And with that, let's move on to some listener questions. So first up from uh, Chris Meisenzahl. Uh, sorry if I butchered your name there, Chris. Uh, team, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the 2020 and 2021 uh, Toyota 4Runner. I realize the drivetrain is super old, but that seems like both a strength and a weakness. Strength being that they're both that they're so crazy reliable. And they, of course, uh, between the weight and the old drivetrain, they get horrible gas mileage. I definitely don't need one. I'm not going to argue there. But as I get into middle age, I kind of like the idea of day trips and long climbs with my dog into the Adirondacks and the Finger Lakes. Uh, we're in western New York, and of course, we get a ton of snow and bad weather. Uh, I have to think that they're really overdue for a major redesign in the next couple of years, seriously considering leasing a 21 TRD off-roader and then deciding in three years whether to buy it or walk away. What do you think? I think you've driven well, you've driven the Forerunner more recently than I have. So. Yes, I, I have. I actually I as I recall, I had it over July Fourth weekend last year, uh, and I I thought while it's I thought it was classically old school in the best possible way, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my girlfriend, actually my friend Lorraine, who I spoke with, I talked about earlier. I 
she moved back from Australia back in 20, 2002, I think it was 2004. Uh, and she bought a Toyota 4Runner and I am pretty sure she still has that vehicle. And it's gone. She moved out to Montana. Uh, she was in Indian Health Services as a physician there for five years. Um, imported her husband from Australia, and they were out there. And they they drove that Forerunner. It actually has. It still has the Moose Guard, which actually has saved her life on a number of occasions because she did hit a moose, in fact. Uh, and so. You know, it was, it's, I mean, this thing has, has been through it and it is continues to run. It just won't die. When I had, when I had the forerunner last year, I had a lot, a lot of fun with it. First of all, you can fit a ton of stuff in it. We fit these two big uh, club chairs that my mom had and that we were moving up to my sister's uh, summer home in, in Northern Massachusetts. And they just slid right in. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, we can fit one. And they're like, wait a minute, we can fit two of these things. And these are big, you know, rounded arm chairs. And it's just, it's so old school. There's a level of authenticity that I think is hard to get in other vehicles. So I think you can't kill it. <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. I have so what you're say, saying is it's not quite as refined as a Genesis GV80. It's not quite as refined. <laughs> But that's not what, you know, if you're throwing your dog in there, if you're going up to the Adirondacks, by all means. Lorraine, by the way, lives in Middletown, New York. So, uh, you know, New York is huge, obviously, but she's in that area as, as well of, you know, doing all sorts of off-road fun things with this thing. I think that I'm from a, my accounting background comes into play though when I say that financially, I do think that it's you have to watch the numbers when it comes to leasing and then purchasing. So that my only hesitation would be there. I also think that if you are going to be doing some significant off-roading in this thing, that when you go to turn it in, you want to make sure that you don't get dinged for any wear and tear uh, when you turn in your leased vehicle. So uh, and keep that, some of those things in mind as well. But I, th I mean, I think the forerunner is just, it's so old school that, I loved it. And actually, you know, I drove it all the way up to Massachusetts and back. So I drove it you know, about 500 miles and I really liked driving it. It was fun. It wasn't, you know, it's not the most comfortable car, but that's not why you buy it. And so I think that, you know, it's still a Toyota. There's still a really good foundation there in that vehicle. So okay. that's my take so, on it. So Chris, if you like the, the Forerunner, Get one, you know, maybe lease it and, and make up your mind in three years what you want to do. Because you're right, probably by that time there will be a next generation forerunner. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I, we'll I would, I think, I just, the, the leasing idea, I would explore that a little bit more. Okay. If it's a payment issue, okay. Um, but I don't think it's a bad idea to to buy it. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's keep stick that with, in mind. Let's stick Look with leasing. Scenarios. Let's stick with leasing yeah. for the next question. Uh, this one was okay. from Ray D. Um, during a recent show, you talked about uh, leasing briefly. Uh, would it be possible to, to do a segment mm. and more fully explain the ins and outs of leasing? Some questions I have, assuming a, a three-year lease with 15,000 miles a year and not buying the car at the end of the lease. How do I negotiate the best deal on a lease? The combination of uh, lowest or no upfront money and lowest monthly payment. Uh, what out-of-pocket costs are associated with a new lease? What routine maintenance am I responsible for? Do I need gap insurance? Uh, so, you know, kind of give us give us a little breakdown on on leasing 
Um, you know, it's, it's obviously something more than just, uh, you know, renting a vehicle for two or three years. Right. So the, so leasing and, and keep in mind, it does depend upon the, the manufacturer, whether you're using their, uh, capital lease company, finance company. I, so leasing, I, I like to lease if you don't drive a lot of miles I, because, but, but you want a new, the, the reliability of a new car and you like to have a new car every few years. And with the pace of technology evolution, it's not a bad idea if you, if you like to have the latest technology to lease a vehicle. It's a, you know, it's a way to get into a car that may be above your price point for less money because you're you're really paying off the depreciation when you're leasing a vehicle. I you know the the cons of it are that you always have a car payment basically because you don't buy this thing and you don't have equity so you can it's easy to get into the leasing cycle where every two to three years you are turning in a car that you have paid for, but you don't have any equity in it. And so if you want to get out of that leasing cycle, you've got to come up with the money for a down payment because you don't have a down payment. So but even, even if you are, even if you're going to stay in the leasing cycle, a lot of times you still have to come up with, you still have to set aside some money over that lease term for the down payment on the next lease, right? You do. It's it's typically not as much as uh, as if you were going to buy. So, you know, it dep- again, every transaction is so complicated because every transaction is so different. Every situation is so different. Uh, in terms of, you know, a three-year lease, 15,000 miles, uh, that you know miles per year the best negotiating the best deal is really a matter of negotiating the value both from from the msrp and then what are they what are they looking at as the buyout value that's the the difference between that's what your payment is so if this vehicle has it's a fifty thousand dollar vehicle and it has a thirty thousand dollar residual value that twenty thousand dollars is what you're paying over the course of a 24 30 or 36 or 39 month lease if if you are able to negotiate the msrp from fifty thousand to forty five thousand and you're able to increase that residual value from 30 to 35 suddenly you're only paying fifteen thousand dollars over the course of that of of the the term and your payment's going to be less so you you know if you're leasing you go in and try and negotiate the best deal on on both ends uh, and certainly ask full disclosure you know you want to read over everything in that contract when you're going into lease uh, you know look carefully at your mileage you may not need as much miles especially nowadays without commuting so you know, maybe negotiate a 12,000 or even a 10,000 mile a year lease. So, and if you're running low on miles, you know, 24 months into a 36 month lease, go in the dealership and say, can I, can I swap this out? You know, is you can do that. They want it. They want to have good used cars because they can resell that thing. Yeah. So, a lot of times you can turn it in early, you know, if you're going to exactly. get it, if, if you're going to, you know, go right into another new car, you know, then, then, They'll, a lot of times they'll give you a really good deal. And, you know, manufacturers often have those kinds of deals, those early turn-in deals. Exactly, right. I mean, I leased, I would say I started leasing about, I leased for probably almost, 
nine years. I had three BMWs in a row that I leased all of them. I, and for me, it was a good experience. Once I started getting media cars, then it was a bad experience because I'm paying you know, a lot of money for a car that I really wasn't driving very much. Um, I liked to lease because I was putting about 13 to 14,000 miles on the car. I frankly couldn't afford and shouldn't spend over $1,000 on a car payment. So it was, I was able to get into a car that you know, I wouldn't have been able to afford if I were to buy it. I definitely don't recommend going above a 60 month loan term. I was, as you start to get into 72 and 84 months, you're never going to have equity. You're always going to be upside down on that loan. You're always going to owe more than the car is worth. So this is a good way to avoid that situation. But from a financial standpoint, certainly talk to your financial advisor. Uh, it also It also depends on the taxes because sometimes from a company standpoint from you know if you if you have your own business i think you can write off some of those expenses easier if it's a lease but that may have changed so don't take my word well, on that yeah my, my friend leo laporte um yes to, you know he he and his wife lease their vehicles because they're they're company vehicles um yes. so you know they they write those off on on the taxes because they're they're it's a, as a business expense. So if you have that kind of situation, then yeah, you can, it can make more sense to do a lease than a, than a purchase in that kind of scenario. Right. And then as far as routine maintenance, again, that varies by, because some companies like BMW had zero maintenance. In other words, you know, it's kind of built into your lease. I remember talking to Porsche and they did not offer anything like that. So again, I think it varies by manufacturer and it's been a while since I leased anything. So they may have changed that, but uh, you will be responsible. You know, some manufacturers still charge you for some wear and tear. And, and again, when you turn in the vehicle, then they will oftentimes look and see, you know, what kind of wear and tear is on it. As far as gap insurance, you know, I, I do think that that is recommended. I think that they often build that in now, though. And gap insurance is basically when if something happens to the vehicle, if it's in an accident, if it's totaled, do you have to pay the difference between what you owe on it and what it's worth? So I'm a big fan of that kind of insurance. So I think I would certainly look into that. But again, it's it's on a transaction by transaction basis. So I'm sure there's listeners out there who don't have gap insurance every situation is different. And so these are just things that you need to explore. But Ray, I think you're asking all the right questions. And I think it's something that is good to explore for your specific situation and what, what, how you live and what your life stage is and what your financial condition is. And I just want to add one last note on leasing. Uh, if you're looking to get an electric vehicle, Mm. Leasing is oh, yes. can actually be a, the, <laughs> probably the best way to go uh, if you're getting an EV because you mentioned earlier you know technology is changing it's certainly changing for EVs oh, and you know one of the big challenges for EVs has been um, you know the residual values on most EVs are really bad uh, but because manufacturers need to sell a certain number of EVs especially if you live in places like California or the other states that mandate a certain percentage of EV sales. Um, you can get some screaming deals on an EV. Um, and the, another advantage is uh, because, uh, you know, with the, the tax credits on EVs, typically, you know, if you, if you were to buy an EV, you know, in 2020, if you bought it in January of 2020, 
that the federal tax credit, you can't claim that until your 2021, until you file your, your 2020 taxes in 2021. And you can't claim it if you lease. Well, what, what happens is, um, you know, whoever is pr- purchasing the vehicle, which is right. the, the finance company, they're right. the ones that, that claim the tax incentive. So what happens is, you know, whether it's GM Financial or you know, anybody else, whatever, whatever the financing company is, they get that tax credit. They factor that into your lease payment. Um, and so rather than waiting a year or more to get that back, that basically gets factored into your payment from day one. So you, that's why so many of the EV leases are so much, the, the monthly payments are so much cheaper because they've already factored that in because the leasing company is going to take that, that, um, that tax credit, uh, whatever right. tax credits are available. So um, if you want to get an EV and you want to get, you know, pay the lowest possible price, leasing is probably the best way to do it um, for, for that particular scenario. Absolutely. No, you're a hundred percent right. That it's, it's really best if you are looking at an alternative propulsion vehicle to lease it. Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. So, and, and then yeah. if you do want to own it buy you know, a three-year-old off leased EV, cause those are usually you know, often dirt cheap. <laughs> right. Um, but then, you know, to our earlier, uh, the guy that was talking, Chris, that was talking about, you know, getting his forerunner and leasing that and going off road with it. As I said, I do have concerns about when you go to turn that in, what that yeah, depending looks like. On, you know, if you're going off road and scratching up the paint, that, that could right. be a problem. Because you're also, you know, when it comes to leasing, your interest rate on that lease is significantly higher than if you were to buy it. So that's the other, that's why, um, that's why buying it, you're paying a lot of interest if you turn around and purchase your the vehicle that you just leased for three years. So if you look at the overall amount of money that you've spent on interest, it can be really significant. So if you buy the vehicle then and you get you know one or two percent interest rate, then that may offset some of the interest that you paid on your loan on your lease, but you are paying interest on your leased vehicle. So 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 the answer of whether to buy or lease is maybe. Exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, with that, why don't we call it a show? And right. uh, thanks for joining us again. Keep sending us your, your questions at uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. We love to, uh, to get these and, and talk through these and try to help you out. Um, and you know, any comments. And if you want to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're at uh, listening to the shows, Please that uh, do that. It helps us out. You know, if you like the show, it helps us out. It helps people find the show. Um, so, Rebecca, have a great week. Yeah, you too. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye.